Hey, aloha, everybody. It is mid-February. The Super Bowl is done and dusted. It was a great event, a fantastic game, a great year of football, and we are off. There is no off-season, Michael. We are off into the 2023 year because we're going to start talking about the draft with our draft expert, Ali Hodgkinson of Pro Football Network. But before we do that, Mike, let's just talk a little bit about the Super Bowl. You were there. You saw it live. Was it as electric in that stadium as it sure as sure seemed to be? Actually, well, hi, Jeff, and hi to everybody listening to this podcast. Go on audio during this draft so you can listen to our soothing tones. Um, it's hard to believe we were on Radio Row a few weeks ago having brewed coffee at 6.40 a.m., sitting with a 4K camera on a bin trying to hold it up beside Peter King. But um, that time flew in, didn't it? It was an, it, look, it was an awesome Super Bowl, like ge- genuinely an, an honor to be there. As I said myself before on representing people internationally, regardless where you're from, I don't take it lightly. Don't take it lightly even getting to work with yourself, Jeff. So um, it was an amazing opportunity. Obviously, your guy, Harrison Butker. Um, big you know, I wanted, to talk to you, I wanted to talk to you about that, Michael, because um, you, I remember you during the course of the week coming out and saying it was going to come down to a last-second Harrison Butker kick for the Chiefs to win the thing. I had the Eagles. You t- took the Chiefs, and you took it with Harrison Butker. So I hope you called Vegas that day and put a whole bunch of money on it because I, if I didn't you even did, do it, you won big. I didn't even do it. I was too busy. I, I should have done it. I, I, it's funny, though, because if we briefly touch on this, because I know it's been reviewed to death, but the one thing I will say is, the takeaway that I had from last year was it was a Bengals home game. It was certainly 60-40 Eagles in that stadium. And it was just the turnaround in the second half was strange. You could feel it in the stadium whenever, I think it was at the, the time they ran back to go in the lead. It You could just feel it. And I think at that moment, you knew what was going to come up. Um, but a great game and just a great season and a great way for the season to end. And it's mad that we're now sitting, we're uh, fifth or 49 weeks out from Jeff putting everything in red in Vegas. And, and I I can't wait. It's going to be great. It's going to be a great year. Yep. It's going to be another amazing year of NFL football. But before we get to the, to the teams, and during the offseason, we're going to break down each team for our, for our listeners. And we're going to look at what they need to do to get to the next level, whether the next level is winning the Super Bowl, defending the Super Bowl title, getting to the playoffs or whatever it is. And we'll look at what they've done with free agency. But the primary focus of our offseason is to get with our draft expert, and that's Ali Hodgkinson from Pro Football Network, and talk about each team's draft needs. And before we get to that, we're going to actually take a little peek back with Ali. So welcome to the show, Ali. It's good to have you with us again, my man. It's good to be back, Jeff. It's uh, I can't believe it's a year, pretty much, since we were we were left doing this thing ahead of the 2022 NFL draft. So that's going to be quite good to go back and have a look at the the actual 22 NFL draft before we look at the movers and shakers of the 23 NFL draft. I'm looking forward to to finding where I was wrong 
certainly you never you're never always right as a as a uh, any sort of form of football analyst it's nice to go back look at the class see where we were wrong see where we were right see who was really maximized sort of first year impact out of their draft class as well because there were some teams who who when you look at the class at the time it was like yeah that's a good class but you look at what they've done in that first year in the nfl there's there's been some some draft classes that were were exceptional well, I'm looking forward to it because if there's anybody in the world who watches more film than me, it's you. And I tell you what, you are the ultimate college football junkie. And I've watched and, and I, you know, I watch your stuff all through the year. But I'm talking about a guy that loves college football. And if there's a guy out there that has a chance, you're going to find him. But, Ali, let, let's let's look at this. The classes. Uh, or some of the classes, we can't get through all 32, but there are some classes of note, I think, when we talk about the 2022 draft and the place I'd like to start, which is the team that I think, as you said, the production out of their rookie class it was just phenomenal, and that's the Jets. When you consider Sauce Gardner one of the top corners in the league, don't you know? take the rookie label off the guy. He's one of the best corners in the league. You know, Garrett Wilson, Jermaine Johnson at edge was a little bit of a disappointment, only three sacks. But I thought Brees Hall was value in the second round at running back and was headed towards a battle for that offensive rookie of the year thing. So you look at the top half of that draft and man, oh, man, oh, man, impact everywhere. Yeah, and I, I remember after the first day of the of the 2022 NFL draft, I was like, start spreading the news New York, New York, because both the Jets and the Giants, that first day of the 2022 NFL draft, that round one, you you watched that unfold, and it was the New York teams that absolutely dominated that first day, as far as I was concerned. And you you mentioned it there, Source Gardner, who for a lot of people was was the de facto cornerback one of the 2022 NFL draft class, and he just came out and he absolutely balled out. No one, um, I think you you said it pretty much bang on the head there, Jeff. Take the rookie tag away from him. There wasn't many quarterbacks who played to the level of Source Gardner in uh, the 2022 NFL season. But he was a rookie, and you can't you can't escape that. He won Defensive Rookie of the Year, and rightly so. Um, but yeah, you, you look at Defensive Rookie of the Year, Source Gardner. You look at Offensive Rookie of the Year, Garrett Wilson, who for me was my wide receiver one going into the draft class. I think it was a very close run thing between Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave for the um, Offensive Rookie of the Year this year. Those two Ohio State wide receivers came in and they both immediate impact for both of their teams. Obviously, Wilson for the Jets and, and Chris Olave for the New Orleans Saints, both in situations where the quarterback play was less than ideal, suboptimal quarterback play for both of those teams. So really speaks volumes about what Garrett Wilson did as a rookie, what Source Gardner did as a rookie. You mentioned Jermaine Johnson there. I was very high on Jermaine. You look at some of the other pieces of that draft class. You talked about Brees Hall. Zonovan Knight has shown quite a bit in his first season. The the running back out of NC State, he had some great games for the um, for the Jets in his first season. There's a lot of pieces of that. New York Jets class that we will look back on in years to come and go. They were outstanding. They hit the nail on the head. And if it wasn't for the uncertainty over the um, the quarterback position, the New York Jets would have had a far better season. Now you consider what they did with the quarterback play, but if they 
you know, if they've got a banged on, nailed on quarterback, we're talking about bringing in Derek Carr for this season. We'll see what they do in the draft. If the quarterback play was up there, you're talking more, I think we're talking more about this draft class than we even are at this point because it's it's difficult or it's easy to get lost in the success or lack of that the Jets had this year when you look back at the, the, the draft class from 2022. Well, it's going to be a lot of, there's going to be a lot of tension on the Jets this offseason. Obviously, the quarterback thing is going to be a topic of constant discussion. And, you know, you know, you look at those guys, and, and I think this is really important for Jets fans to, to hang on to. There will be a quarterback. There'll be better quarterback play in New York than there was this year. I fully believe that. I think they're going to, you know, who that guy is going to be, I can't tell you yet. But you know that they're going to, they know, Joe Douglas knows, and uh, Robert Sala knows the importance of finding a quarterback because they have a roster that with another good free agency period and another good draft that I think is a playoff ready roster, they just need a quarterback. And again, I think that's one of the things that this draft has set them up for the future. And again, talking about another team, Ollie, that I really, um, you know, I'm a big production guy. I'm not, I'm not a numbers guy. I'm a, I'm about production. And one of the things that I thought the Seahawks did was get great production. Now, when you talk about the Seahawks draft, you know, you got Charles Cross in the first round and Abraham Lucas in the third. Those two offensive tackles, when you can go out and get two offensive tackles to start for you and play as well as those rookies play. Now, they're not the they're not polished yet. They're not finished yet. But when they, you know, when you're playing with two rookie offensive tackles, you know, you don't expect the kind of play that they got from those two guys. And then you go to the, you know, to the late rounds and, and in four and five, you know, they, they get two defensive back starters that are ultra productive for fourth and fifth round picks and Kobe Bryant and Tariq Woolen. And then Kenneth Walker, I think is the perfect. I, I, I remember when, when we were doing this last year and we were talking about, a running back to Seattle and Kenneth Walker to me was the perfect player for that system, that Pete Carroll mentality. And I think that really showed out. He, I thought he had a amazing rookie year. Yeah. And, and when I look back at the draft as well, it is that it's the Seattle Seahawks alongside the New York Jets and a couple of other teams, but the, the Seahawks, you, you mentioned there the bookend offensive tackles, like Charles Cross, the first round guy, there's a lot of people riding high on Charles Cross. Abraham Lucas almost kind of went under the radar a little bit in terms of what people thought he could accomplish in this league based solely on what he had been subjected to at Washington State, which was a, a high-volume passing attack. And then he comes into the Seattle Seahawks, a program that we knew were wanting to run the ball in 2022. And a lot of people were like, oh, I'm not sure that fit with Abraham Lucas really, really works. He's, he's not a, a guy who is, is going to be super strong in the run game for you. But it was a, a misconception of what Abraham Lucas was as a as a um uh, a talented offensive tackle coming out of the class. If you watched his tape, there was reason to believe that despite the lack of exposure to the, the high level, uh, high volume running game, that he got the skill set to to thrive in that environment. And he did. Like you say, Charles Cross, Abraham Lucas, Tariq Wallen. Tariq Wallen, like for me, had no business going as late as he did. 
Um, and I know there was a question on on the on the Twitter timeline, which I think Michael's going to come back to a little bit later on about hitting on late round picks. And the Seattle Seahawks did a, a great job hitting on Kobe Bryant and Tariq Woolen in that early day three period. But Tariq Woolen, you know, showed out at the combine, showed off what the draft analysts, including myself, was so excited about this kid with freak athletic potential and ability, but people looked at him as a, a guy without a lot of experience at the cornerback position and kind of slept on him a little bit. And the Seahawks picked him up in the in the fifth round and, and turned him into a high-level NFL starting cornerback. Um, but this, you know, this the whole draft, there's pieces across it. You know, Boye Mafe, who um came out of Minnesota, really I, I intriguing even, story coming. Yeah, I didn't even list him, but you know, there's another guy right there you can throw in. Yeah, and he's you know he's in line to be the long term starting outside linebacker for the Seahawks. Um, they've got a couple of, uh, of under the radar wide receiver prospects that came that they they picked up in Bo Melton and Derek Long uh, Derek Young out of Lenore Ryan. Um, they're guys who again could contribute down the line just because they didn't contribute to a, a massive degree in this first year. They're probably going to contribute at some point down the line as well. So, so it's um, a, a great draft class that allowed Geno Smith to thrive. You know, this is Geno Smith, NFL comeback player of the year. Everyone was talking about what are the Seahawks going to do at quarterback? What are the Seahawks going to do at quarterback? Coming into 2023 NFL draft, it, a lot of people now are not even asking that question because of what Geno Smith was able to do this year for the Seahawks. And he was able to do it because of how they managed the draft so effectively. And that's, you know, that's how the best teams stay the best teams, become the best teams is is by drafting such a high level across all three days. And, and that's what the Seahawks did. You know, it's amazing. We talk about teams and, and how they get draft personalities, right? And one of the things that the Seahawks seem to always be able to do is find great corners late in the draft, whether they're position con- convert guys like Richard Sherman or, you know, it's just, it's amazing how they're able to do that. Now, I want to talk to you about a team that when we were coming out of the draft, I think everybody, the consensus was good draft, not a great draft, but a good draft. But I look at the Super Bowl champion, Kansas City Chiefs, and, you, you know, you got two first rounders and they go out and get Trent McDuffie and George Karlakis. And both of those guys make immediate impacts now McDuffie battles injury a little bit but by the end of the season when you look at his I don't care how you evaluate him but you look at his play he's amongst the top level corners in the game right and now Karlaftis comes in and you get six sacks out of a rookie 47 pressures which is the most of all any of the rookies um and and I just think his his demeanor and his play style really enhanced that defense. And it allowed them at the end of the season to get more out of Carlos Dunlap than they probably would have get more out of Frank, Frank Clark than they probably would have when they went to the, you know, in the, in the playoffs, when they went to that pass rush scheme where they had three defensive ends on the field and only, you know, Chris Jones as a big guy, I think mean, you can't do that unless you take Carlaftis, you know, and, and I, he probably was underdrafted, frankly, is to, to 
to go all the way to the end of the first round. I thought those two were incredible picks, but the real value to me for the Chiefs was what they did three through seven. And, you know, you look at, you know, Sky Moore and you look at Brian Cook and Joshua Williams and Jalen Watson. I mean, they started four rookie corners. I mean, secondary players, rather. And won a Super Bowl. I mean, that's unbelievable. You're out there with a seventh rounder, and then you're 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 you lose your marquee back in Edwards Hilaire, and Isaiah Pacheco, a seventh rounder out of Rutgers, steps in and gives you juice, you know, throughout the end of the season in the playoff run. I it was I thought it was an outstanding draft by the Chiefs. Yeah, the draft certainly have a uh, the the Chiefs certainly have a um, a type when it comes to um, scouting defensive end prospects. And it's, it's exactly for that reason that you, you alluded to there. They love these big defensive ends and it allows them to be creative with their fronts. And George Coaftus was a perfect pick when you look back at it for the Kansas State Chiefs for that reason. A, a big, real, a guy who puts a big into big defensive end. I used to call him the Grecian Goliath while I was doing his scouting report through the, um, the, the 2022 draft cycle because he is a monster who has the athleticism for a big guy to be able to rush the pass around the outside track. But he's also big enough and powerful enough and strong enough to get the job done inside and it allows you to be very creative with how you use your defensive front. So Kolaftis was a great pick. You you mentioned obviously there Isaiah Pacheco. A, a case really of teams I'd be careful how I phrase this because I obviously I'm not party to the conversations in NFL draft rooms, but for me it's very much a case of Isaiah Pacheco was overlooked because of the team that he played for because the Rutgers offense is and has been for the past couple of seasons, just very terrible to watch. Like it's hard work to watch Rutgers. The quarterback play is terrible. The line play is terrible. But when you watch them, Isaiah Pacheco stands out on film for the reasons that we talked about him being successful in the NFL. He's got that short area burst. He's got enough juice to take it the distance. He's also, you know, ability to be physical as a running back, ability to be a receiver. Um, and, and really impact the, the passing game as well. So when you look at his evaluation and what he's done into the NFL, it shouldn't really be a surprise that he's done that. But um, I mean, just a, a class that, like you say, probably didn't get the the love that it deserved at the time. Um, but Trent McDuffie was a top five cornerback and they got him, you know, mid to late first round. George Kalaftis for me was a comfortable top three defensive end in the class and they got him late in the first and and they've they've been able to pick up immediate contributors all the way through. And again, this is this is what it's about as draft success. You expect the immediate impact out of your first rounders. But the real test of how a team operates in the NFL draft is the success they get out of those late round picks. And it's clear that when you look at a team like the Kansas City Chiefs and you talk about the Seahawks and the type that they have at cornerback. It's clear that the people pulling the strings in the draft room, the scouts that they have out on the road, those scouts in that building are what help elevate that team um, to, to to pull off. It's, it's no coincidence that they consistently find these late round bargains and steals. It's, it's, it's just not a coincidence. And, and the Seahawks in particular, what they do with their cornerbacks, I think really sets the trend for how the NFL um, evaluates 
cornerback prospects and how they they're, they're trying to find the next Richard Sherman. They're trying to find the next Tariq Wallen. I wrote a piece back in October that was look, trying to find the next cornerback anomaly in the 2023 NFL draft class because this is what the Seahawks find. They find cornerback anomalies and uh, just, yeah, great, great work. Yeah, you know what? It's interesting that when when you're at the Super Bowl and you have an opportunity to talk to guys and, and you know, I've known Steve Spagnuolo for a long time and, and I said to him, you know, media day, you know, when we're standing all there, all the circus is going on and the, you know, the guy in the barrel and the other guy with a wedding dress, we're just shaking our heads like this is, <laughs> this is pro football. But I asked him, I said, you know, you go out and you got, you're dressing five, but you're playing four rookies in the back end in the biggest game in the world. And he, he's, he kind of discounted that. He said, you know, we thought that every one of those guys had a chance because of the measurables, because they had the length that they wanted, but they also had the competitive nature and the desire to be great, which is the hardest thing, you know, as well as I do, when you're scouting players and, you know, and I, I believe in tape, but tape sometimes can only give you maybe a peek at what a guy's, what, what beats inside his chest. And that's where those hours spent in conversation with these guys in the interview process, in the offseason work, when you go and work them out at campus. I will never forget, Ollie, when um, Emmanuel was coming out and uh, Al Saunders came to work him out. And I thought Al was going to kill him that day. I mean, he ran. <laughs> he must have run routes for like and hard for like an hour and a half but what and and then i talked to al after the work i said Al, you know well you didn't like the kid or what was what was going on he goes no i love the kid he said i just wanted to make i want to see how tough he was i wanted to see if he would you know like if i could break him right and not break him spiritually you know not break his spirit but just if i could break his will to, to you know because it's easy to look good when you're fresh but when you're running route after route after route after route and i and, and i came away from that thinking that's good that's really good personnel evaluation well you know from my i'm, I'm not in the thick of the nfl draft rooms i'm not in the thick of you know going out on the road every week scouting players but you know when you're watching tape three four five six games of a of a player that's very much part of the evaluation, you know, how how does that, that player might look great on a sunny Florida afternoon in September against, you know, a, a cupcake FCS opponent? How, how does that guy look in the deep, dark midwinter in the trenches against the Big Ten opposition? Something of that nature. And that's, that's when you get the true feel of, is this guy going to be a dog in the NFL? Because he, you know, he might be dinged up after eight games of a season. He might be might be snowing and minus five in Michigan in late November. How does this guy play then? And and that's you know very much a part of um, that competitive toughness element of the of the scouting evaluation. Yeah, and I, I I agree. That's that's sometimes the hardest thing to judge. I'm going to go to a team that was my first favorite team. Ali, and there is hope. There is hope. You mentioned Michigan. There is hope in the state of Michigan and hope in Detroit. 
when I was at the Super Bowl, I talked to Aiden Hutchinson, and what a what a phenomenal kid. Uh, I had had a chance to, to interview him at the draft, but then to see him again and talk to him and congratulate him on his year, and he looked me dead in the eye, and he said, we're building something in Detroit. And, you know, obviously he had a tremendous year, nine and a half sacks, three interceptions, all of that. But I'm going to tell you something now. Jameson Williams, one play wonder, right? We only saw him healthy for one play, but it was a touchdown. So that's, that's a pretty good – once he's back off his injury, you look at what they did at the end of the draft, right? And, and, I, and I'm going to say, you know, you're talking about day two and three guys. You know, Kirby Joseph, three interceptions as a rookie. And, you know, James Houston, uh, I think, has a chance to be a really good pass rusher. I, I don't not They got to figure out what they're going to do with him, what they're going to play him as, or if he's just going to spend his entire career as a pass rush specialist. You know, but, you, you know, it's so important that you're able to rush the passer. And there's a guy in there that had the highest win rate of all the rookies, you know, in, in terms of his pass rush. And, you know, Malcolm Rodriguez in the sixth round, I thought was a was a great story. I mean, he came out of nowhere and I thought played really, really well. Yeah, the Detroit, the Detroit Lions kind of are the team from the 2022 NFL draft that makes you go – it's about time we rip up the rule book of preconceptions because why was Malcolm Rodriguez a six-round pick? It was because everyone said he was too small to play in the NFL. You watch this kid go to battle in the Big 12 every year for Oklahoma State. He's all of five foot ten, five eleven, whatever he is. And but, but you don't see that on tape. This is a kid who will fly downhill and hit you in the mouth as well as any six foot three, two hundred and forty pound linebacker, but everyone went, "Oh, Malcolm Rodriguez, too small to play in the NFL." James Houston, too light to play in the NFL. Coming from a HBCU school, got not the level of competition, too small. What we're going to do with him? Like you just alluded to there, what do you do with James Houston long term? These are all kids that kind of rip up that rule book, and it comes back to what we were just saying about that competitive toughness, that want to win, that will to win that desire to go that extra step to 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 deliver on the biggest of stages and Malcolm Rodriguez it was very clear through um the Detroit Lions appearance on hard knocks that he was going to be a dude for that team and you know he was he was this season he earned a starting role for the Detroit Lions when everyone said he couldn't play football in the NFL you look at obviously Aiden Hutchinson what he was able to do I think he surpassed even the expectation of him coming out of college, which is a big thing to say because obviously this was a guy who was being touted as a potential number one pick. It's a guy who had that monster season at Michigan, but there were still some concerns about Aiden Hutchinson coming out as it pertained to, it pertained to his ability to translate that to the NFL. And he rushed that all aside and had a, a you know, if it wasn't for Source Gardner, Aiden Hutchinson could have been a, a potential defensive rookie of the year. You mentioned Kirby Joseph there. He was very much in contention to be on the NFL all-rookie team. Um, and again, that was a guy who they picked up in the, the third round, late in the third round, 97th overall pick. They found contributors 
pretty much all the way through that draft. They got James Mitchell, the tight end out of Virginia Tech in the fifth round, who was a guy that I loved. He was obviously injured for the the end of his college career in 2022 with Virginia Tech. But he he's a guy who's going to contribute. They felt comfortable enough with what they'd got in their tight end room to trade TJ Hawkinson. And that's not all James Mitchell, obviously, but he's a part of that equation and a part of that conversation. And I think he's going to be a great playmaker for the Detroit Lions for, for years to come. I agree with you. I thought that the, you know, um, you you look at you look at what is there, and you know, again, another good class, another, you know, free agency is going to be key. Now, Detroit's not exactly a destination for free agents, but you know, I, I tell you what, money money talks. Um, let's look at money, the other just, end. Of the just just let's, on just on that, Jeff. Money does talk, but also what you referenced there about what Aiden Hutchinson was saying. They're building something in Detroit. Dan Campbell is a guy that football players will want to play for. So there's there's that element of that as they go into free agency as well. And obviously in 2023 draft, they're well positioned with the the position uh, the picks that they've got in that class. You're 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 very right, and I agree with you on the Dan Campbell uh, evaluation too, because he is going to and you know Spielman and that that whole organization is is doing it the right way. Let's look at the other end of the spectrum. Was there any team that we look at back now with a year's focus that you say, nah, probably overdrafted, <laughs> or you, you really don't like what they what what they got? It, it's difficult because you want to give a you want to give a draft class like three years really. I know a lot of teams aren't in a position, necessarily a lot of head coaches aren't in a position to be thinking that far down the road. But you kind of want to give that three years to um, to really see how that develops. The Houston Texans had the Houston Texans had a good overall draft class. You look at Damian Pierce, they got in the fourth round. You look at Jalen Petrie, they got in the second round. If you look at their first round picks, they took Derek Stingley over Source Gardner and Derek Stingley, you know, we've talked about Source Gardner to death and I think that's all that needs to be said about the difference between those two cornerbacks in this class. And then Kenyon Green, the, the guard out of Texas A&M, who they took 15th overall, he's really struggled. And, and obviously the offensive line, the trenches is a difficult, it's a difficult place to be. It's a difficult transition from college to the NFL because everyone's big, everyone's nasty, everyone's hyper-athletic. Um, but Kenyon Green really struggled for the Texans. Um, so I, I think when you look at their first round, that's, he, he kind of uh, could could have done a lot better. Could have done a hell of a lot better uh, in Houston as far as it as the first round goes. There's a few teams where you kind of you look and they didn't really get much immediate impact out of the the picks that they they spent in in 2022 NFL draft. Um, some very much like must do better in 2023. Well, you know what you talk about the kid from A and M, and and we talked about him in the process, and we talked about how he was underpowered. And had you know didn't have a you look at his body and you just go he's not ready to play in the National Football League now hopefully he'll get ready I want I want just before that we're going to end it up with I want to I want to talk about a lightning rod uh, for opinions right and it's Trayvon Walker who got picked with the number one pick because of 
the guy had nine and a half career sacks at the University of Georgia, right? So you were not taking him on his production on the field. No way. You're taking him on what he did at the combine and his raw athletic ability. The first year he played, in my opinion, just like he played at Georgia. Flashed athleticism, not productive. Three and a half sacks or whatever it was. And, you know, that's what that's the scary thing. The first player picked in the draft, I've had I've heard I've heard numerous scouts tell me this, Ollie. Your first the first player picked in the draft should be a, a gold jacket guy. And when I say a gold jacket guy, the, a future Hall of Famer. Yeah, and this it, it leads to an interesting conversation. And and the 2022 quarterback class also leads into the same interesting conversation is how far do you invest in athletic traits over proven ability to win with technique and technical expertise? Um, because that's that's what Trayvon Walker was coming out of Georgia. He was an athletic freak who flashed on the field, um, just almost otherworldly ability to change direction and with lateral agility at the size that he had. He showcased this rare speed. All of those Georgia defensive linemen, we're going to talk about Jalen Carter down the road. Um, all of those those Georgia defensive linemen from last year had this otherworldly athletic presence. Um, and it kind of showed in year one for Trayvon Walker. There were splashes, there were highlight plays for, during the, the, the early season for the Jags. But it wasn't that all powerful, all-consuming performance that we talk about getting an immediate impact um, out of the player. But I mean, you, you look, be, look beyond the stats, you know, that, that Jacksonville Jaguars defense was better this year. Part of Trayvon, part of that was landing Trayvon Walker. It was also landing a guy like Devin Lloyd as well. Um, but you, like you say, from, a, from an immediate impact standpoint as the first overall pick, you you probably wanted as a Jacksonville Jaguars fan and the Jacksonville Jaguars front office to to see the guy leap out off the page like Aiden Hutchinson did and, and like Kevin Thibodeau did for the New York Giants, give or take the mistimed celebration, misplaced judgment of that celebration that, that he did during the season. I, I just think that it's an interesting one and one that you know we're going to watch as we go forward this year with this class. You know, who is the workout? You know, who's the... Who's the next, you know, Mike Mamula, and and uh, you know, for those Dolphin fans who are still is still in pain over that one. But um, I appreciate you as always, Ali. We're gonna move on now and uh, take some questions from our audience, and then we'll be back next week to look at the quarterback position. We have got one question, Jeff, for you today. Um, the question is from Paul McGuire, who I'm presuming is, is in the UK or Ireland. Paul sounds very Irish, to be honest with you. Jeff, what is the key to a team improving its chances of hitting on later round picks? I always hope the Dolphins will draft a running back, but never seem to do so with one of their top picks. Even more unlikely this year. Well, I think the thing is what, what Ali talked about. You got to do the work. You got to do the work and you got to have a, a, a real idea of what it is that you're looking for. The best organizations 
in my opinion, that do person did or do a great job of personnel. The Chiefs, the Ravens, uh, you know, I think that the Philadelphia Eagles do a great job. That I think there are a number of teams that do a great job, but those are just a few. They have a real consensus between the coaches and the personnel people about what they're looking for. And when you look at the guys that we've talked about that have hit or the teams that have hit on late round guys, it's because they knew in, in the case of Kansas City with Pacheco, Pacheco had the fastest 40 time in draft, right? And you looked at the tape and obviously I don't care. You put Walter Payton back there. He wasn't going to gain a lot of yardage behind that offensive line. He had at Rutgers, but the kid had all of the things that you look for. He, he was tough. He ran hard. He blocked. He had, you know, he had great football IQ, all of those things. And you just said, Hey, in our system, we believe that kid can, you know, can be a player. And obviously a seventh round pick to be as impactful as, as Isaiah Pacheco was, is exactly what we're talking about. So I think it really comes down to that for the, we got to remember now running back there, there are always, that's an, un, as we use the term undervalued position, there are going to be good running backs available day two and day three in this draft. Absolutely. We will take more questions. I've got a few more here. We'll do it on each episode and build some, a couple of ones on the next one. It's been an interesting first episode listening to you boys, to be honest. It's been good fun. All right. Well, let's let's get back next week and talk about those quarterbacks. <laughs> Aloha. <laughs> <laughs>